I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. <clears throat> o magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. Those are the first three verses of Psalm 34, which is the psalm appointed for today, Thursday, June the 17th, 2021. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being with me today. We are looking at, continuing to look at 1 Samuel, uh, the book of Acts, and um, the gospel according to Luke. And so we're continuing with the story of how Samuel became the, the main priest, the main judge over Israel. And so we've looked at his birth narrative and, and how he was given to Eli, the priest at Shiloh, to, to raise and to serve there in the house of the Lord. And so now we come to the place where we yesterday, remember, we looked at the, the wickedness of Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas, who were priests to the Lord there at Shiloh, and, and how they treated the Lord's holiness lightly. They took advantage of the sacrifices and said, no, I, we're not going to follow that system that God described. No, instead, what we're going to do is we're going to get the best pieces for ourselves first, and then we'll do what we like with them. And so they were, and they were also sleeping with the women who attended there uh, around the temple. And so they turned it into essentially a, a house of debauchery, and it, and it meant nothing any longer. The, the house of the Lord was defiled. And so <clears throat> what we see now is there came a man of God to Eli and said to him, and we don't know who this man is, thus says the Lord, did I indeed reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt subject to the house of Pharaoh? Did I choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, to wear an ephod before me? I gave to the house of your father all my offerings by fire from the people of Israel. Why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded for my dwelling, and honor your sons above me by fattening yourselves on the choicest parts of every offering of my people Israel? And so it was, it was up to um, Eli to discipline his sons because they were under his care. They were under his leadership, and he allowed them to do as they pleased. And they didn't treat God's things as holy. And so he, he says, Therefore, the Lord, the God of Israel, declares, I promised your house and the house of your father should go in and out before me forever. But now the Lord declares, Far be it from me. For those who honor me I will honor, and those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Behold, the days are coming when I will cut off your strength and the strength of your father's house, so that there would not be an old man in your house. Then, in distress, you'll look with envious eye on all the prosperity that shall be bestowed on Israel, and there shall not be an old man in your house forever. The only one of you whom I shall not cut off from my altar shall be spared to weep his eyes out, to grieve his heart, and all the descendants of your house shall die by the sword of men. And this that shall come upon your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, shall be the sign to you. Both of them shall die on the same day. And I'll raise up for myself a faithful priest who will do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. And I'll build him a sure house. And he shall go in and out before my anointed forever. And everyone who is left in your house shall come to implore him for a piece of silver or a loaf of bread. And shall say, please put me in one of the priest's places that I may eat a morsel of bread. Now, he was not the only descendant of Levi still around, and so this just this particular house is going to be abandoned by God. And it's completely due to the fact that of sin, and the sin is despising God 
And what does that mean? It means that, that his law and his ways no longer matter. They put themselves above God. And so that's exactly what we see with Hophni and Phinehas. They took the best parts of the food for themselves. They, they slept with the women who attended. They, they were horrible. And, and here is Samuel growing up in this household. And somehow or another, he navigates all of this. And the, the word of the Lord was rare in the days of Samuel, and it's because of this. To whom would God speak? And so we don't know who this man of God is who comes to Eli and tells him these things. But it, it, it sets the stage for what's to come when Samuel's given a word of the Lord to go and speak to Eli as well. I mean, he's given an opportunity here, right? I mean, he, can, he could step away from this, and he could change things, and he could discipline his sons, but he chooses not to. So he neglects to respond to the word of the Lord even. Even when, it, when he's confronted with truth, he fails. And, and it's easy to do this, and, and I've certainly seen this happen in the church before, where, where misconduct by pastors and priests is overlooked or uh, even sort of tolerated because, well, you know, hey, we're really successful. He's doing really well. There's, there's some good things happening over there. And so we, we just look the other way on this and uh, kind of chuckle at it. And, and things begin to mount. And then finally it comes to a head. Sometimes it takes many, many years for that to happen. I mean, I've certainly seen that in ministry where things that were obvious to people all along, suddenly, I mean, people just overlook this bad behavior and they look overlook the things that have been said and done. And then suddenly, all of it comes to a head. And now we've got years of uh, bad conduct, abuse, and everything else going on. And so we've seen that a lot in the last 15 years, say, in the church, in, in various churches around. And part of it has to do with a lack of leadership. And... You see that in every denomination or every church itself, that, that the leadership won't step in and do things that are difficult and confront situations. They're, they're willing to overlook things because it's harder to step in and tell the truth than it is to actually deal with things. But we've got to keep in mind everything that we do is, is about God's holiness and reflecting His character and we're to reflect that character as well. And to the extent that we treat the things of God lightly, then we teach everybody else around us to treat the things of God lightly. And so then suddenly anybody who doesn't is a fanatic. But that's exactly what we're meant to be. Jesus would be the original fanatic, right? I mean, he was here for only one purpose, and that was to, to show and reveal God's glory to the world. And show mankind what it was ultimately to look like, and it was supposed to have one aim in mind, and that's to reveal the glory of the Lord and to hold him up in all things. And, and that's what a fanatic is, a single-minded person. You know? And it, there's all kinds of stuff in Scripture about double-minded men, and that's not good. None of those things that it says about double-minded men is good, and we've got to be single-minded about everything that we do. We're really called to that. I mean, it's a simple thing. That's the point of being a disciple of Jesus, as you have, have said. I'm going to hitch myself to this wagon, period, end of sentence. And, and so when Jesus comes and he's speaking now, remember he had just spoken to the Sadducees about the resurrection because they don't believe in the resurrection. So Jesus proved it in a very simple way by, by saying that um, Moses at the burning bush spoke about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and, and he says that, that God's the God of the living, therefore those people must be alive to God. And then goes on to say here, now how can they say that Christ is David's son? And so he's proving a different thing. 
here. David himself says in the book of Psalms, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. David thus calls him Lord, so how is he his son? So he's arguing for the preexistence of this one who is described in this place. And that is, the Lord said to my Lord. And so if, if he is David's Lord, then he has to be above David before David. And so it's, it's an argument for the pre-existence of Messiah. And Jesus is claiming clearly to be Messiah. But he's arguing here that, that this should have been known from all time, that, the, that Messiah existed before David did. He might not have been on earth. It might not have been visible, but he, that doesn't mean he ex- didn't exist. And so that's Jesus' argument there. And then he begins to say, beware the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and love greetings in the marketplaces and the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They'll receive the greater condemnation. And then he looked up and he saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box and he saw a poor woman putting in two small copper coins and said, Truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them for they contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. That's faith. That's the definition of faith. And and Jesus commends that sort of fanatical, stupid faith, right? So that's the kind of faith that people say, well, that's awful. That's so ridiculous that she put in everything she had. She threw all in with God in trust and faith that he would provide for her needs. And so he, he condemns those who give only out of the abundance. And so we're called to be those people who give sacrificially, both of our lives and our resources. It's important that we recognize that we really are called to be fanatics. We really are called to to go all in on him. We're called to push all our chips into the middle and say, I'm betting everything on Jesus. I'm betting everything on God. I trust him that much. I believe in him that much. I believe him that much. I believe he'll keep his promises in that way. And, and that is a great witness and testimony to the world. I've certainly known people who sacrificially give whenever there's a need, whenever and they pray about it first, obviously, because they don't want to get snookered or suckered in on scams. But but people need to pray about what would, what would you have me give, Lord? What would you have me give? And be willing to give everything, like he asked the rich young ruler to do, or to give what, what um, Nicodemus did. He gave half away of everything that he owned and then promised to pay back anybody fourfold anything that he had gotten from from them through the uh, tax collection business in, in an ill-gotten way. If he had defrauded anybody, he said, I will give back fourfold to that. I'll give half what I own to the poor and then fourfold to anybody that I've defrauded to get that money. So everybody now has the right to come and make a claim whether he defrauded them or not. And so we've got to be willing especially in these days, to go all in on him. And more and more is being asked of us. And the reason it's being asked of us is because we haven't given all these years. And we have held back in evangelism, held back in everything. We have, we have not recognized the full demand of the gospel, which calls us to risk everything, just as Jesus risked everything for the truth. And you see that here on the day of Pentecost when they've come and all these people have shown up at the house when they heard the sound like a mighty rushing wind and they saw the tongues of fire and they heard the uh, proclamation of these Galileans and they all heard them in their own tongue. So they understood the proclamation that was being made there, of the mighty acts of God. And now Peter begins to preach. 
He says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. And then David, and then the, he quotes from David. I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad, my tongue rejoiced, my flesh also shall dwell in hope. For you did not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One see corruption. You've made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. And then he goes on to say, well, we know that David died. But there's this other one that he speaks of the Holy One who has not seen corruption. He said, being a prophet and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we're all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he's poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. It's a remarkable statement that he makes here that, that this is the fulfillment of the prophecy of Joel. This is the fulfillment of the prophecy of David. This makes sense. And it's a response to the question. Remember, there was two different reactions to, to what was happening. There was one reaction that was astonishment and amazement. And asked one simple question, what does this mean? And the other reaction was, <laughs> they're just drunk. Um, this statement here that Peter makes in this sermon it is designed to answer the question, what does this mean? And the answer is, it's the fulfillment of prophecy. It's the fulfillment of David's expectations. It's the fulfillment of Joel's expectations. It's the fulfillment of all the prophecy concerning Messiah. That's what it means. And what's happening here is the outpouring of the Spirit on all flesh in uh, conjunction with Joel's prophecy that this would happen. And you're seeing it come to pass in real time. It's an amazing thing that Peter can reach and grab all of this stuff. It shows you how well-educated in the Word of God these men really are. That on a moment's notice, boom, he can pull all this out and say, here's what's going on here and here's what it means. And the the what it means that this is happening is as the fulfillment of that prophecy, it further points to and gives testimony to the death and the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus. So Pentecost itself is, is a sign to attest to Jesus because he's the one responsible for this outpouring of the Spirit this day. His death, resurrection, and ascension made all of this possible. We live in a new age, Peter says. The new age has just broken in the reign of Messiah. Whether he's here or not, he's reigning. And the proof is this outpouring of the Spirit, this unusual thing that's happened here this day. And he goes on to say, David did not ascend to the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make my enemies your, your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. How do you respond to that? How do you respond to that reality? You know 
now because you've seen this sign. You saw the signs he did before you. Now you see this sign. This sign of the Spirit being poured out on all flesh. The most amazing thing you've ever seen. And this is the day also that they celebrate the giving of the law on Mount Sinai that was accompanied by loud noises, thunder and lightning, roars, and then fire. And now, in a smaller and different way, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is accompanied by similar kinds of signs. A little less dramatic, let's say, in some ways, but not really. Because the people all rushed to see what was happening in this place. And Peter here gives the meaning of what God's doing. And then he gives them a charge, right? What are you going to do about that? And a half measure and a half response. And a lukewarm reaction to this isn't good enough. It won't work at all. 